this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering five conversations from episode 34, our discussion with Stephen Harrison and Mazen Nuruddin reviewing important drug development presentations and posters from the Easel Congress 2023, plus a vault episode addressing a similar topic after last year's liver meeting from AASLD. This conversation starts with Jorn Schottenberg and Mazen Nuruddin asking Stephen Harrison questions about the Fascinate study. After Jorn confirms that this is 26-week data from a 52-week trial, Mazen asks questions designed to challenge how enthusiastic Stephen truly is about the drug and the data, given a comparison of Fascinate results to recent FGF21 results in terms of liver fat reduction. Specifically, Mazen asks whether Denofenstat feels more like an add-on agent as compared to FGF21s, which he describes as, and I quote, mainstream agents. Stephen replies by describing the need for what he characterizes as a plethora of agents, and also notes that injectables seem to produce faster drops in liver fat reduction and ALT improvement than orals, but that orals possibly catch up over time, almost a tortoise and hare phenomenon. He goes on from there to describe the ways he might use injectables first in more severe patients and then orals after he gets an effect, and that he might simply start with orals in less severe patients. He describes the right comparison for Denofenstat as being resmeterom. Mazin says among oral agents, the ACC inhibitors might work better. Stephen brings PPAR inhibitor lanofibrinor to the conversation and finally returns to the idea that injectables might produce stronger efficacy results, but that among orals, there are several agents yet to differentiate clearly a theme he returns to once more at the end of the conversation after Jorn mentions PUFAs. This conversation covers a lot of ground on drug development, analysis of trial results, and the upcoming increases in importance of omics and artificial intelligence. It was a great birthday present for me from some of my favorite surfers, and I hope it's a present to you as well. It's quite a lot to digest, very exciting to consider, so sit back, listen, learn, enjoy, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Stephen Harrison. So with that, let me see what you guys think about what I went through. Jörn Schottenberg. This was how long, Stephen? Because I, I think I missed it. It's a 52-week study, but the interim that was reported by Rohit was at 26 weeks. So we are awaiting the liver biopsy at the 52-week time point, which I'm trying to think if there was any report on when that might be coming. I don't recall Rohit saying when we can anticipate the final results, but I can do a quick look on the website to see if, if there's anything there. Mazen Nuruddin. Again, I guess we're still getting positive results. Uh, I think the field is moving forward, but I'm going to ask actually, Stephen, uh, I don't want to compare Apple to oranges, but I just want to get check his pulse, how excited he is about this data. And let me be a little bit critical. So this is 26 data from passing inhibitor. Again, you said the absolute about 6%. The relative reduction is 34%, and the 30% MRI-PDFF reduction got to 67% or so. And the first thing that I like to think about other significant results, and the first thing crossed my mind is the FGF21 since they had recent publications. I know, Stephen, you presented the, you actually published the Fruxifermine data in Nature Medicine, and the absolute reduction was not 5 to 6%, was reached up to 15%. The relative reduction was up to 70% uh, compared to this uh, 34% that they had here. The 30% reduction in that study you published was all patients and the 50% were up to 88%. Vigoza Furman also published some data on the effect of triglyceride that they had. Uh, it was also Nature Medicine paper, not the New England Journal paper. It was also recent and they reported the relative reduction 42%, a little bit less than Profoxifermin and the 30% reduction was 
up to 88%. Let's look at the 30% reduction at least. Like Fruxifermin, all patients achieve that versus because of Fermin up to almost 90%. And looks like to me, the fasting inhibitor is, is falling short here. So are you as excited? Are you expecting less histological response? We know it's like things don't translate exactly, but does this come across to you as add-on agent rather than mainstream agent like FGF21s, maybe TH betas, that they will come first to market and they will be like, maybe like the metformin? Yeah, I think it's, first of all, it's important to understand where this, as you noted, where this fits into the context of the bigger picture. And also to think about, like there is with diabetes, a plethora of drugs targeting different mechanisms that likely will have utility in some patients but not others. So it's nice to have a repertoire, if you will, of options for our patients. When I think about drug development, I tend to break them down into injectables versus orals. And I think as a general rule, the injectables are going to be a little bit more potent and certainly are going to have a faster impact, I think, on overall changes in the architecture in patients with fatty liver. So what we see with any injectable that we've studied to date where there's been a positive impact, whether it's FGF-19, a GLP, or an FGF-21, is you see rapid and sustained reductions in liver fat content as well as liver chemistry tests. Really, all the liver chemistry tests drop ALT, AST, Gamma-GT, ALKFOS, even total bilirubin in a lot of these trials. Whereas as the oral agents tend to be a little slower to kick in. It's a little bit like the tortoise and the hare phenomenon. I think the injectables act more like the hare and the orals more like the tortoise, where if you look at data at 52 weeks, there's tending to be a, quite a bit of catch up with the oral agents, at least as it involves liver fat content reduction and ALT improvement. But it's still not quite where you would see an, an FGF 21. So I like to look at these oral agents relative to other oral agents that are being studied in the field, not necessarily stacking them up to injectables, because I think they potentially are going to have different uses up front and maybe toward the back end of treatment. Let me dive into that a little bit. I think if I have a more advanced patient, particularly those with docking on the door of F4, I might want to hit them hard and arrest their disease as quick as I can. And I think the injectables give us an option for that. And, and, and when I say this, I'm saying oftentimes these people will be on a baseline steady state dose of a GLP-1. So understanding that a lot of our patients are on that, they still have liver disease. And oftentimes fibrosis is still pretty bad actor in these patients. So if we look at cohort D, which looked at the addition of a fruxifermin on top of a GLP, that data has not been presented yet nor published, but it's been pressed. And there you see a very impressive reduction of liver chemistry test and liver fat content on top of a GLP. Most of those people are on stable doses of GLP for about a year. And granted, they might be diabetic doses rather than obesity doses like with Wagovi and Terzepatide, but still GLP nonetheless. So I think that's a setting where I would hit the patient hard with an injectable and then potentially after a period of treatment, transition them to an oral. And then maybe I take a patient that's not quite as severe and I start them on an oral. So where I would put Genofonstant here is how does it stack up to resmedrome? How does it stack up to a THR beta? And, you know, you're looking at 26 weeks. I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me, like, um, 
complicated more for you. So the ACC inhibitors, which works upper on the cycle, it seemed to me that they did better than the lower on the de novo lipogenesis pathway. Saying that, the side effects are important and the hypertroglyceremia is different as we know between the fast inhibitors and the ACC. Mm-hmm. So some people might argue with an ACC inhibitor, you might get more and you have another drug that will mitigate your uh, dyslipidemic effect. So food for thoughts. Okay, so dive into that. Do we have any histopathology data on an ACC inhibitor? We, we, we're, we're looking for that, but you, now you're talking about the MRI-PDFF data on the FASIN inhibitors. So yeah, yeah. I wanted to compare the MRI-PDFF of ACC, which seemed to be very impressive, especially the Pfizer compound. I just want to think about it, like look at all agents and not just a solo agent so people know where we're at in the, in the field. And I argue. But that's good. And I think that's what makes this podcast interesting is that there's different perspectives. And again, we might as well just throw in Inventiva's lanifibrinor here, as long as we're talking about oral agents. You know, here you have an agent that's once daily at the 1200 milligram dose being studied for 72 weeks in phase three. And albeit they use the SAF rather than the NASH CRN scoring system. But at the top dose, they had pretty good activity. Uh, treatment effect delta, I believe, of 18 and 22% respectively for NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement relative to placebo. And they had glycemic control and they had atherogenic lipid improvement. Their bugaboo is, is there or is there not going to be an issue with weight gain? And I'm not talking about making subcutaneous fat healthy again. So therefore they're gaining weight because they're gaining this quote unquote healthy fat. I'm more worried about the water weight retention and the unmasking of what we call HEFPEF, a right-sided heart failure. While the early data, the 24-week data at the 1200 milligram dose does not suggest that, I still think that is a potential liability that needs to be worked out in phase three. Having said that, if all we did was compare the head-to-head comparison of efficacy, you know, we have biopsy data with Lanny. We have no biopsy data with an ACC, no biopsy data with a FASN inhibitor. So subsequently, no biopsy data with anything that blocks de novo lipogenesis by itself. And we have THR beta biopsy data, but our oral data beyond that is really limited. So that's why I'm thinking, I guess it's a it's a way of coming full circle to your comment of where would we put Denifonstein? And I think the answer is, I am almost certain I would be shocked if they have histopathology efficacy that matches either efruxifermin or pigozafermin. I just, I don't think that's going to happen. Maz is going to say something. So the one thing I picked up on and just going to throw in here quickly is the changes in PUFAS, right? So we think that potentially beneficial, and this is something that could be more towards the comorbidities in those patients. So if somebody is more towards cardiovascular disease, would we want PUFAS to potentially even affect his CVD risk here? Because I think this is one arena where, where this could be useful or? Well, I think it could be. It's, it's definitely going to be useful, right? If we're inhibiting any of the lipotoxic species, the oxidized phospholipids, the DAGs, the ceramides, I think in a positive way, that's going to be helpful. But think about it. The FGF21 is working through beta-clotho FGF2 and 3. I mean, they're targeting de novo lipogenesis, right? So you're getting that same, in theory, even though we don't have lipidomics yet, in theory, you're going to get the same knockdown. You look at the THR beta, you should get that, even though we don't have lipidomic assessment, by the fact that you're revving up beta oxidation and you're driving down, I mean, you're, you're essentially clearing cholesterol more readily from serum. I think you're going to have very similar atherogenic risk reduction 
with a balanced potency FGF21, as you would with a THR beta that's very selective, as you would with uh, Denifonstan. So we just have to see. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, we'll be back with more discussion on major stories from the Easel Congress. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you again on the podcast. Bye-bye now.